Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm Lisa Camuso-Miller, your host, and a 25-year public affairs professional in Washington, D.C. The concept behind the podcast is to interview the media, get to know them, find out about their background, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter Podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. PR Daily is a resource for trends, insider tips, and lots of other topics inside the communication space. Join me there at prdaily.com to learn more and to find the Friday Reporter Podcast. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm so lucky today to have the host of Axios Today, which is Axios's podcast, and we'll get into a little bit more about that. Nyla Boodoo is with me today. Nyla, thank you so much for being with me. Thanks for having me. Nyla, talk to me a little bit about, I, I have had a chance to listen to a couple of the shows I love, just like is the brand of all of Axios. Uh, 10 minutes long is the episode, really gets into the news of the day, gives everyone a sense of what's happening. But talk, talk to me a little bit about uh, how you've approached this project and how it is that, that you have, um, have built the podcast over the course of the last, I guess it's been almost two years now. Yeah, it has been almost two years, which is crazy to think about that we started this as a pandemic era podcast. So I should talk about that also. But the goal and the hope with this podcast was to create an audio version of Smart Brevity, which Axios has so well pioneered in the newsletter format. And Mike's AM newsletter is the first and great example of this, which is just a way for to present the news and you know exactly how long it will take a few minutes to get smarter faster. And so the challenge was, can we do this in an audio format? And when the folks at Axios started talking to me about creating this, they had already put an enormous amount of thought into it. And coming from the background I did in public radio, it was very clear to me that the Axios values of the way that this company approaches journalism were a great fit with mine, because I do think that a lot of the way that journalism is done is broken. And I think that that's also true when we think about how audio news is done. And I thought that if we could create a podcast that would take the best of public radio, take the thoughtfulness of public radio, and match that with the speed of commercial radio, and put it in a podcast format then that would be true to Smart Brevity. And that's kind of what we've done. I feel mm-hmm. like I very much ascribe to the fact that I don't think that because people don't have a lot of time doesn't mean they're not curious or they're not interested and they don't want to be informed. And so I see our mission on the podcast on a daily basis to not waste people's time. And we take that very seriously, that we're not wasting your time, that we're giving you the best information. And yes, it's a 10-minute podcast. And yes, it takes us all day (laughs) to do that every day. (laughs) But I think that the, and I had, I had listened to a few episodes in advance of our conversation and really sort of started to get a feel for how it is the show is put together. It really is. It's, it's, it's what, when I first started the pot, my this little podcast, folks had said to me is that you want to be in a place where you can capture the audience, deliver the information to them that they're looking for, and then they can get on to their next thing. And I, and I love that you say that you don't think that people aren't curious. I think that they are. I think that they're just very, uh, not only busy, but also distracted. Uh, but 
Nyla, you talk about your background in public radio. Tell me a little bit about how it is you came to be uh, at Axios and, and what it is. You've got such a rich background in a lot of different spaces. Talk to me a little bit about how you got into journalism. Yeah, so I'm one of those kids that always wanted to be a journalist. I had like a newspaper under the dining room table you know, when I was like in <laughs> third grade or something like that. Um I remember, yeah, I remember drawing a picture of the governor of Florida in like second grade and my second grade teacher being like, who is that? And I'd be like, that's Bob Graham. And I think she thought it was really weird that a second grader like was like bizarrely interested in who the governor of Florida was. But that was just sort of, you know, how I grew up. Um my dad is a professor. Uh, he's retired, but taught international relations in Miami. And I just grew up watching an hour and a half of television news every night. And I thought that's what everyone did. And, you know, my parents got the Miami Herald every morning. And so that was and then I was very fortunate to um, intern at the Herald. And I started interning there when I was in high school. So I got to start at a great local paper uh, in an amazing news town that is my hometown of Miami. And mm -hmm. I really haven't looked back from that point. I worked at the Herald in high school and then went to um, college and graduate school. And then my first full-time job, I worked at the Associated Press in Miami um, while I was still in graduate school. And then my first full-time job was with Reuters. And I was in London uh, and Washington. And so it's really nice to kind of come back full circle to being back in D.C. So I started my career really here 20 years ago. I was uh, started here. At, I was spent a year in London and then I was here in D.C. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, I was in Washington and working at a wire service and very grateful for the foundation that that gave me, but really missed journalism that I felt like mattered to communities. And this was sort of like my path into public radio also, although I didn't realize it at the time. So I moved back to South Florida and I was back in newspapers. Um, so before I was in broadcasting, I was a business reporter. So the first half of my career was in business reporting. Um, and when I went back to the Herald as their economy reporter, that's when I started also doing public radio. And I started doing public radio because the Herald had a public radio station embedded inside the newspaper newsroom and our desks were right near each other. So the business desk was right next to uh -huh. the public radio station. Uh, and that's when I just kind of fell in love with audio. And I was so intrigued by how people really had emotional ties to listening to someone's voice. And it was so interesting to me how people reacted to my stories when they were on the public radio station, WLRN, versus when they were like in the paper. And that was something that just kind of I wanted to go deeper into. And then that led to a job at WBEZ in Chicago and to hosting. And for me, when I be started hosting, so I started hosting an afternoon show in Chicago um, that was the beginning of my hosting career. And for me, that was when I realized, like, this is my place in journalism. This is what I want to do awesome. to talk to people and hear their stories. And you did that for some time. And now here you are back. And do you feel as if podcasts are still sort of uh, finding their place in the world, I think, and, and lots of people have them, including my little homegrown project here? Um, 
do you think it is going to take uh, some of the place of radio or is it going to maybe augment? Maybe it gives people a better um, opportunity to diversify and listen to exactly what it is they want to hear about. What's kind of your thoughts as you have made that transition from radio into the podcast space? Yeah, no, I'll be very frank. I think podcasting is definitely already supplanting in some ways um, radio. And I think when you look at generationally how people consume audio, they are looking at podcasting. They are not like when I I talk to journalism students all the time. And when I was in public radio, I would talk to a journalism class and I would survey them and I would ask them if they knew what the local public radio station was. And sadly, they well, most of them, these were journalism students and they did not. Mm -hmm. But then I would ask them what their favorite podcasts were and they would name NPR podcasts, but they didn't know that they were NPR. Um, And so they would all say like, my favorite podcasts are like How I Built This or, um, you know, It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders or This American Life and Serial, you know, which is not NPR. And now, of course, Serial is owned by The New York Times. But um, mm-hmm. I think that I think that the way that younger generations consume audio will be the future. And what's exciting to me about podcasting is how much that audience truly reflects the diversity of America. And so that was a huge tie for that was a huge draw for me to want to go into podcasting. It was like this amazing opportunity to do this with a company like Axios that um, is great at taking risks and wanting to do things new and also still, which is something important to me, still doing amazing journalism, but also has a startup mentality and is really willing to innovate and do things differently. And I think that's. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the beauty of working not at a legacy news organization anymore is you don't have that baggage of like my whole career prior had been working for legacy mainstream. You know, I had worked in wire services. I'd worked in newspapers. I'd worked at, you know, some of the largest public radio stations in the country. And I think when you're big and you've been around a long time, sometimes you get set in doing things a certain way. And it's really hard to innovate. And I do think public radio is doing a great job in some ways in innovating in podcasting. But I was very worried about the future of radio audiences. And I think that we've seen that pandemic has kind of hastened that. Yeah, no question about it. And and also, I think, too, not just startup in that uh, you're all brand new to the space. I mean, everyone that you're surrounded by, you are my third in Axios April conversation about what it is that's happening inside or behind the scenes at Axios. And there is a ton of innovation But everyone that has come to this space has a tremendous and rich background from other spaces. So I talked to Hope King. She was my first conversation, and she came from the finance world. And I talked to George Moriarty, and he has come not only from the finance space, but also from subscription newsletters. And then here you are coming to this uh, project in um, having had a rich background, not only in wire service, but also in public radio. So not only with great experience and foundation, willingness to be innovative and thoughtful in different ways to try to um, really, I mean, the news space from the time you and I started in this world, it is changed so much and will continue to change that if we're not nimble and thoughtful about the ways to meet the audience where they are, we will also find ourselves sort of in a place where we're still you know, sort of struggling and stumbling. And that does not at all feel like the way that this innovative company has really sort of set themselves forward and is moving in that direction. 
and I think it's not just a it's not just about innovation, it's about authenticity. And mm-hmm. I think that is one of the other special sauces of Axios. Like I remember mm-hmm. talking to Jim when we were first starting the podcast and Jim and Mike and Sarah Gu, who uh, Sarah K. Helani Gu is our executive editor and she's mm-hmm. the editor in chief of Axios and she came from public yeah. radio. And Sarah and Jim and Mike saying to me, like we are we want we want you. Like we want your voice. We trust you. Yeah. And that is a huge thing in journalism that is very rare to find your bosses saying, we trust you. Um, You Mm -hmm. do. We trust you to do what you you know, this do this, own the space, be you. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important thing for our audience. Like we started the show in a pandemic. Um, People were in a really bad place. A lot of people are still in a really bad place. We were just talking about how it's just been a really strange week of, you know, just like weird things happening and we want the pandemic to be over and it just will not. And I think that having, you know, going through the past two years, my first day at Axios was um, June 1st, 2020, which is the Mm -hmm. day that President Trump had Lafayette Square cleared of Black Lives Matter protesters and carried his Bible across the square to stand in front of uh, the church across the street. That was my first day at Axios. Um, and when you think about what has well, happened. Welcome over, back to Washington. <laughs> right. Like when you think about what's happened over the past two years of pandemic, Black Lives Matter protests, the election, January 6th, um, there's been a lot going on. And I think that people who consume the news want to know that the people who are producing it are also human. And I think that's a really important thing to convey. And that's the also the beauty of a podcast or a newsletter is you have the freedom to express that while still being journalists, right? Like my job is not to present my opinion, but it is, I think, appropriate and necessary for me to express my humanity. That's right. And, and long before we even got to this point, um, one of the big training pieces that I would, um, I've done media training and public speaking training for, for many, many years. But one of the key elements that I've always communicated to folks during that training is that authenticity piece. Like find your you, right? Smile your smile, wear your clothes, be you, because that's what people are seeking out. They're seeking out connection, right? And authenticity ultimately is what people are looking for when they're trying to make a connection. And to be able to hear a voice like yours that is not only one that's thoughtful and well-informed and and compassionate, but also one that is doing everything you can to be you, um, that makes people want to listen more, makes them want to tune in and hear what you have to say because you are sharing sort of that perspective that's, that's so needed right now. Yeah, and I just think that's a big part of where journalism has fallen down. And I think that when we think about the other thing that I really appreciate about Axios is that it is a place that from day one, since I have been part of the organization, has been very encouraging of my lived experience as someone who has grown up. You know, I was born in Miami. My parents are immigrants from the Caribbean. Um, you know, as an Asian American, but also someone who's West Indian, like that is something that is really valued in our newsroom. And I appreciate that 
we work at a newsroom where they want us to bring our perspectives of life into what we do. And I think that when I started in journalism, this was a long time ago when everyone talked about objectivity. And I don't even think that's the right conversation to have, right? I think that what we should be talking about is, are you being fair? Are you being accurate? Are you being inclusive of providing voices to people who do not often have a voice and who, you know, does the newsroom, is the newsroom accurately covering the community or the country? And that's also another really important part of this conversation. Nyla, when you are producing, when you're working and when you're pulling together ideas for this very short and very informative podcast, it's not just you some days. I mean, you for 10 minutes potentially could have two or three folks join you in the conversation. We talk to me a little bit about that process, about how the podcast itself, um, how you pull people together. Is there a formula that you use every day to make sure you hit that mark to make sure that it is short and smart and, and newsworthy? Right. And I would say that's the first thing is it's definitely not just me every day. There's a whole team that works on the podcast on a daily basis. Uh, we have an amazing team of producers and audio. We have an we have so we have a bunch of producers who work on the show on a daily basis. We have an audio engineer who is amazing. And then we have the resources of the Axios newsroom as well. And so we work really closely as the Axios Newsroom has expanded, especially with the local initiative. We've started to work. We love that there are reporters all over the country because that's where our listeners are. Like I hear from listeners all over the country on a daily basis because they text me. So this is another this is another thing I love about sort of the innovation of Axios. Like I saw this app. Um, the community app that uh, Ashton Kutcher started for celebrities to text. And I went to Mike and Sarah and I was like, hey, I think we should use this for the podcast. And they were they were just like, what is this app? And I said, it's a way for people to text us. And it's a platform. And is that what that is? I noticed that on your on your podcast that there's they have the ability to connect with you like through that. All right. Tell me more. I'm here. I'm interested. Yeah. So. People text me every day. I hear from listeners every day all over the country. And what I love about it is I think it's really democratizing to have a platform where the only barrier that you have to have is you own a phone and everyone owns a cell phone, right? Like I'm not saying you have to go on Twitter to connect with me uh, because I think that is itself like a, its own like niche, niche of society. It's a barrier. Yeah. It's like kind of a, yeah, exactly. So I hear from people, I hear from like 18-year-olds, I hear from 80-year-olds, and they all have a cell phone and they all text me. And they are all over the country. And people share feedback, they share story ideas, they uh, weigh in on things that we're covering or things they would like us to cover. Um, We had the really lovely uh, last show of the year at the end of the year where we had readers share their best moments of the year. And it was just so emotional and beautiful to hear how people are still living their lives, even in the middle of a pandemic and everything else that happened in 2021. And so, you know, I think that just being allowed to being letting people into the conversation is a really important thing. Um, So we have our listeners, we have our local reporters, we have our national reporters, 
um, who are just across the newsletters, people like Hope in New York and other people covering business and then kind of like in all the buckets that Axios covers. And every day we think about, you know, every day I'm sort of aligning with Mike and uh, what is going to be in his AM newsletter. And we're thinking about like what is going to be the best conversation for the morning. Mike likes to describe the best of Axios today, like as a podcast of being newsy, but not the news. And I really think that's important because we're not saying that we're providing you the latest breaking news. Like we are not a newscast. We are not providing you like what is, you know, what mainstream news organizations will say is like the comprehensive news story of the day. But, or what I would say, I will, well, I should say the comprehensive news cast of the day. We are providing what we think are the most important stories that people and providing them in a way that we want people to understand. Um, Mm -hmm. So the producers work really closely with the reporters that come on the show or our outside guests. And it's I mean, it's a podcast that's run exactly like every other show that I've been a part of. Like, you know, we have show meetings every day. Producers are pitching segments. They are helping prepare the conversations. Um, Our senior producer is shaping those. We're talking through everything. The challenge that we have had, and I think we are getting better at this, was just how to do this in such a sharp way, in such a short way. And so the smart brevity of that is something that works really well with folks in our newsroom because they get the concept. Um, and then when we work with outside guests, it's like always kind of a different thing where I'm like, so I always just tell people, I'm like, look, our whole show is 10 minutes and this conversation is going to be three minutes when we edit it. And so we really think about the way people consume audio. I So this is how I think about it. When we talk about smart brevity at Axios, um, our publisher, Nick Johnston, had this really funny – he said to me when he was explaining smart brevity to me, he said, you know, when people – there are scientific studies that show that when people see, like, a huge wall of copy, like, all of these words, their eyes get sad. And so I think of that, like, when people hear a really long – like, when they're like, this is an hour and a half or an hour – podcast, I think their ears get sad because that's a lot to comprehend. And I just think that that's hard to think that you're going to get all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's what we kind of focus in on the conversation every day. Like, what is the one stat someone's going to take away from this conversation? What is the big takeaway we want people to have? Um, And we try to do that in a way that is not assuming knowledge, but is also not condescending because I also think that's a problem that a lot of journalism has is that people are really condescending and assuming knowledge and I think that's not fair Um, and again I think because people might not know about something doesn't mean that they're not interested and don't have the right or the ability to learn more about it well that makes a ton of sense it makes a ton of sense and and, and to me it's um, right you don't we're not looking, we're try- looking to communicate and we're not looking to, um, to, to over-educate, but I love that, the sound. I mean, there's no question when you said that. I mean, I think about some of the news articles that I have to, con- I have to digest every day for client work and for some other things I do. And they, t- my eyes definitely get sad when I have to look at all of these words at the same time. I also love that you, in every episode, 
of the podcast, you do a quick synopsis that shows, you know, if you want to go deeper, if you want to learn more, and it's true of the new, it's true of the newsletter, excuse me, true of the newsletters, it's true of everything that Axios does. But I love that if you want to read more, there's always the ability to do that. And that's just such a cool way to, um, to give people access to more information. Oh, I was just gonna say, and that's what listeners text me about. Like, sometimes they were like, I want more clarity on this. Like, um, when we covered, um, the so-called don't say gay law that just passed in Florida. I had a listener text me and he said, I want to read the actual text of the law. And I was like, well, here you go. Here it is. This is how you read it. If you want to read the law on its own, this is where the law is. If you want to read some great journalism that explains like what legal scholars are saying about it, here is some of that. Here is another one. Because I think for people who are interested, it's just helpful to have them. I think that I think that's also part of what journalists need to do is help help create better news literacy and media literacy. And I think that when there are so many sources of information, especially for older generations, that's really harder for them to distinguish between Mm -hmm. what I actually think like younger generations are actually pretty good at this um, Mm -hmm. because they've kind of grown up in a misinformation world. So I think instinctively they're a little better at knowing like when something is completely like someone's trying to spin them or I think most people, I think most younger people can get that. But I do think that that's something that is a challenge for certain generations. No doubt. I was going to ask, uh, when you're not answering hundreds of texts and, and doing all this other great work to sort of keep people informed doing the podcast, what other things are keeping you busy? I mean, the you know, we, we joke that the pandemic is winding down and winding back up and sort of we're living in this weird space. But now that you're back in D.C., is there anything that's keeping you busy outside of the Axios world? Yeah, it's nice to be. I feel like I've been in D.C. for two years and I feel like the past two months are the first time I've actually really been back because <laughs> no it, doubt, it's just like, oh, I'm actually going out and seeing people like I'm actually at dinners and meeting like other journalists. And this is also true of my colleagues. Like we have not we've I've had two big in-person work events in the past two weeks. And I have had so many people that I have worked with for two years that I haven't met. And so it's just kind of wild. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've had my bubble in D.C. and um, we love each other and we're all really sick of each other. Like everybody. No doubt. (laughs) So, I mean, and I'm very grateful to them. But I also it's just really nice to kind of obviously I'm a you know, it would be a weird job if you were a host and you weren't an outgoing person. So I really right. enjoy being in person with people and even just like getting to interview my coworkers in person, which this has been one of those weeks where we've been able to do that a lot because we had a lot of folks in town for our What's Next Summit. So the Summit, by the way, I watched a whole, I watched a whole bunch of it. It was really fun to watch. There was so much good content that you guys were sharing between um, just it'd be impossible for me to identify one piece that was more interesting than next, but I really appreciated the work that you guys did on that. Oh, well, that was all of our events team, which is their amazing work that they did to pull everything together. And there's so many levels of detail to create this first in-person event that we've been talking about doing for two years. So, I mean, they're just, Axios is an amazing group of people who handle our events who worked so hard on that. So I would give them all of the kudos. Like our the journalists in the newsroom, they like I mean, as someone who 
does production. Like I always appreciate a good production because I see a lot of not good production. And so they they are amazing well-oiled machine for these things and rolled with everything and were prepared for almost every contingency. And so they just put so much work into that. But and for those of my listeners who haven't gone back to check out what Axios delivered this week, uh, it was a great event with lots of great guests and lots of good conversations. So um, worth worth going to check that out, too. Yeah, thanks for saying that. And I think there are some really amazing conversations that happened. But I would say, yeah, it's just nice to be back in person. Like, um, it's strange for me to see like the level of tourism coming back to D.C. So I will say that's like a grumpy D.C. thing. <laughs> just kind of like, oh, I want just my tidal basin without anyone there. Everybody but, loves but... the cherry blossoms except those of us who live here because <laughs> they really do right. create a high level of uh, of extra traffic and other complications that we don't ordinarily have. Yeah, and that's my side of town. So I love that... Mm-hmm. Um, I love that they're there, but I'm just like, and I love that I can go there, but I'm just, there's just so many more people. So I have to get used to that again, but (laughs) there's sort of, so there's two sides of it, right? Like it's a really nice to be starting to do things more in person with people and getting to meet people in person and just getting to really enjoy the city in a way that I feel like I have not for the past two years. Um, yeah, but then, you know, then there's also just like all the back to hassles of the, that life as well. (laughs) The pluses and the negatives that come with going back to the way things were. Nyla, as we get to the end of our conversation, I'm wondering, is there anyone that you might recommend for a future episode of the podcast? So I would actually suggest, um, my Axios colleagues in Chicago, so, uh, and they are former, they are, they are my Axios colleagues, but at full disclosure, we have worked together for a long time. So Justin Kaufman and Monica Ng are the two people that do the Axios Chicago newsletter. And both of them are former public radio. We are all, we were all at Chicago Public Media, WBEZ together, um, and I love that they I feel like they are a great example of a newsletter that just launched that really represents a city and local journalism and a voice in such an authentic way. And I think they're producing and I've had and I will not just I'm not saying this just because I they are my Axios colleagues and they are my friends, but I have mm-hmm. had people in Chicago tell me they are producing the best daily newsletter in Chicago. And Chicago journalism is tough. I mean, there is a lot of journalism happening in Chicago, and a lot of it is excellent. And so for people to say that, I feel like is a huge gold star for them. And so I would say you should talk to Monica Ng or Justin Kaufman. I'm going to tell him you sent me. And I'm so grateful for that recommendation because I do. I, I mean, I... I grew up in in New Jersey, as I've talked about a thousand times over during the podcast, but there is something about having uh, a newsletter and a resource that can talk about what's happening in the state or in the city um, by folks that are really well-resourced, that can really, really get down to the the information nuggets that people are really seeking out. And that's uh, fantastic. So I will reach out to Justin and to Monica, and I will get one of them for the next episode of the podcast. Nyla, thank you so much for being part of this project and for being part of the Axios April project. I wish you guys all the best on the podcast, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for including me. 
And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. Hi, my name is Joe Grogan. And I'm Eric Ulan for DCEKG. DCEKG is all about the how and why of Washington, D.C., what's going on, what's going on behind the headlines. We spend a lot of time talking about healthcare and economic policy, but frequently delve into trade policy and sometimes national security or whatever's happening on Capitol Hill. Between Joe and I, we have nearly five decades of Washington experience. We put that to work with our guests to explain to you what's going on in Washington. I always found myself calling Eric when I didn't understand what was happening and always found him to be really good at explaining to me some of the things that I wasn't seeing. And I hope our guests will get the same type of insights. I always found myself talking to Joe when I couldn't believe what I was seeing happening to understand exactly how the heck we got to where we were. Tune in to DCEKG anywhere podcasts or YouTubes are available. You won't regret it.